Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to Friday, September 13th. On today's show, I'm going to be chatting with UBCM President Arjun Singh as their annual convention is set to take place in less than two weeks. There are a number of issues on their agenda, including cannabis revenue sharing. I had BC Finance Minister Carol James on the show earlier this week. That was uh, one of the things that we talked about was cannabis revenue sharing. And she presented the quarter one numbers earlier this week. So this was all part of that conversation. And from what she had said, it doesn't sound like there are anywhere close to being near striking a deal with municipalities. Well, it'll be some time yet. Uh, I'm afraid at this point we don't have revenue to share. Uh, the expenses of, of the setup of the of the cannabis structure to make sure that we were getting organized crime out of the business, to make sure we were protecting children. We've been taking a, a very measured approach. There's no question that uh, it's, it's lower than we had expected. We had a municipal election, as you know, a year ago, and that uh, had an impact because we are working closely with our municipal partners around how we look at licensing in communities what areas they're responsible for, what areas the province is responsible for, so we can make sure that that share uh, is done well. So we're not at that stage yet. We've been having very good conversations. We have a committee struck with uh, with the Union of BC Municipalities, so we're keeping those conversations going. But uh, we haven't seen the kind of revenue that we expected coming in, and, uh, and once that occurs, we'll be able to, to talk about more specifics. So I will be getting some reaction on that with Arjun and preview what will be happening over the course of the week of the 23rd through the 27th. And continuing on with that theme, at the end of the show, I'll be speaking with a representative of the Alberta Gaming Liquor and Cannabis. Uh, Alberta has been the best province in terms of making money off of cannabis sales so far. Last month, it had reported $123 million in sales, with the province raking in some $30 million of those dollars. How have they been able to do that? Well, we'll talk more with Heather Holman at the end of the show. And uh, in, in about 10 minutes' time, I'll be speaking with the organizers of the annual Terry Fox Run. It is set for this Sunday with 1K, 5K, and 10K races all set to rock uh, here, of course, raising money for a good cause in the name of Terry. But to begin today's show, today is, of course, Friday the 13th, the first of two such days that we will see this year. The next one will be coming in December. What is it about this day that makes it so eerie for so many people? Why is it considered such an unlucky day? Is it purely because of Jason Voorhees and the Friday the 13th movie franchise? If you said no, you would be correct. Let's start by looking at the number 13. So the irrational fear of the number 13 is called Trischer Decophobia. Try to spell that. Good luck. There are a couple of theories behind it. One is the Judas theory. That stems from the 1980s. A number of English language sources relate the unlucky 13 to an idea that the Last Supper, Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, of course, was the 13th to sit at the table. The Bible, though, does say nothing about the order in which the apostles sat, but there were 13 people at the table. So that's one theory. Another idea is the Hammurabi theory. Hammurabi. I think I'm saying that right. It dates back to the 18th century of B.C. in the 6th. Babylonian king Hammurabi made a lot of laws and decided to write them all down. His uh, book consisted of 282 sets of laws governing every sphere of life. But some laws were omitted, including law number 13. 
This hypothesis, though, has been questioned since the original text did not actually include numeration. Others have pointed out that 13's younger sibling, the number 12, traditionally signifies completeness. There are 12 signs of the zodiac, 12 months of the year, 12 hours on a clock, other sets of 12 that exist. Another popular theory links the superstition to the demise of the Knights Templar, a monastic military order whose members were arrested en masse by France's King Philip IV on Friday, October 13th, 1307. Pop culture further denigrated Friday the 13th as early as 1907 when Thomas Lawson wrote a book about a broker who tries to bring down Wall Street on that day. Then, of course, there is the current rendition where Jason Voorhees, a boy who drowned while being neglected by camp counselors at Camp Crystal Lake, hit theaters. Of course, as any fan of the, uh, the movie series would know that the original killer in 1980 was not Jason, but it was, in fact, his mother Pamela. Well, I, I'm Mrs. Voorhees, an old friend of the Christie's. Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. So the number 13 has been viewed as unlucky for centuries. Hotels often don't have floors number 13, and there's often no room number 13. There are a number of events that have also occurred on that day that could signify why it might be considered so unlucky, so I'll go through a few of those here for you. On January 13th, 1939, a bushfire tore through Australia's Victoria province, killing 36 people in one day. This Black Friday fire was the deadly icing on top of a terrible fire season for the province, and of course, as here in BC, don't need, be, don't need to be told anything about terrible fire seasons. During World War II, Nazi Germany began an intensive bombing campaign against the UK. On 16 occasions, Buckingham Palace was hit, and one of the most destructive of these hits occurred on a Friday the 13th. The deadliest tropical cyclone in history struck on Friday, November the 13th, 1970 in Bangladesh. It actually made landfall the night before on Thursday, but the, the Bola cyclone killed at least 300,000 people with most of that destruction coming on the Friday. Today, of course, also marks the 23-year anniversary of the death of Tupac Shakur. Tupac was shot in Las Vegas on September 7th, 1996, and died of his injuries six days later on Friday the 13th. A sad day for hip-hop, and of course, his murder has never been solved, and if you talk to some people out there, he is in fact still alive. Ooh, right? Here's a new one that I learned. Uh, if you're Italian, perhaps you might feel a bit differently. In Italian pop culture, Friday the 17th is considered a day of bad luck. The origin of this belief could be traced to the writing of number 17 in Roman numerals XVII, and by shuffling the digits of the number around, one can easily get the word VIXI. I'm going to say it's pronounced Vixi, but I'm not Italian, so I don't know. And that means I have lived, which implies that death is in the present, an omen of bad luck. In Italy, though, 13 is generally considered a lucky number, but of course, due to Americanization, Friday the 13th is often considered unlucky as well. Americans always meddling in other people's business. So there you go. A number of theories behind the fear of Friday the 13th and the number 13 as a whole. But I'll tell you what, today, it's in fact my birthday, and I'm not going to let it get me down. I actually had a Friday the 13th themed birthday the last time Friday the 13th was in a September, and that, my friends, was a very fun day for me. And I expect today to be no different. There's a good chance I will go home, I'm going to have a beer, and I might watch a little bit 
of the old movie classic. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. The voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Hello and welcome back here on Friday the 13th. I am joined now by Andrea Makura to talk about the annual Terry Fox Run, which is set for this Sunday at Riverside Park. Registration will start at 9 o'clock in the morning. Andrea, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. So I don't think people need too much background on Terry Fox, but uh, I mean, can you believe it's been 39 years since his run ended? I have a really hard time believing it, but it's just amazing that, you know, 39 years later, we're still all here talking about it. Yeah, I mean, he started in St. John's, Newfoundland on April 12, 1980. His run came to an unfortunate halt in Thunder Bay, Ontario on September 1st. Uh, so as awesome, or sorry, as someone who, who just moved here from Thunder Bay myself uh, oh, earlier this summer, nice. I'm, I'm well aware of kind of what Terry represents there. Absolutely. Um, there's a big monument of him right along the highway that goes through the city, very popular tourist destination. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, Terry was raised here in BC, right? Was. So uh, the Terry Fox Museum located in Victoria. So I guess what does this mean for you and sort of the people of BC? I mean, what does Terry Fox mean? Why, like, why does he resonate so much with Canadians, do you think, in your opinion? What about him and his journey and his story is just so uh, inspiring and so, you know, brings people together? What, do you have any sort of thoughts on, on why that is? Well, I think he resonates with so many average BCers and Canadians because he was just you know, this average BC kid from Port Coquitlam who decided that, you know, he wanted to do something great and not for himself. There was no benefit to him other than trying to help um, stop cancer. And so for him to run 143 days straight, a marathon a day, I mean, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of dedication. And uh, I mean, just the respect that, that, that we have. And it's, I mean, yeah, going strong. Over $750 million to date has been raised cancer research. Yeah, and I mean, I guess before him, I mean, the idea of running across the country was just super foreign, and now it's it's almost kind of boring to talk about when well, people do it, Well, right? he started it, right? He, Terry Fox started fundraising and running together, and now look at how many runs we have. Yeah. So he really was... He was the first first guy. And I guess the fact that he did it on one leg, too, I mean, it's just, that makes it so much crazier to think about. I mean, when you just think of the word Terry Fox, you just picture him running, right? Like, he's such yes. a unique running style and yeah. and just sort of how, uh, yeah, it's just a, a piece of uh, Canadian history, right, absolutely. if you will? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so the Terry Fox Foundation, like you had mentioned, has raised over $750 million Canadian dollars. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, when you hear figures like that, I mean, just, just what does that sound like to you? I mean, that's, that's a ton of money that obviously has been raised in the name of cancer research. I mean, I just can you speak to, uh, you know, just sort of what that means, um, you know, in terms of that fundraising element and just how giving Canadians are to this cause? Well, I just want to say that um, there's no sponsor for the Terry Fox Foundation or any of the runs. So all of the 9,000 runs across Canada and in 35 countries internationally are all put on by volunteers with no run budget. So through the generosity of volunteers in our communities, um, we're able to do this. So that speaks volumes that we can put on an event with 400 plus people and, and I don't spend a dime. So it's, it's pretty incredible and it warms your heart. You know, as soon as you mentioned Terry Fox, businesses and, you know, kids alike are, are, ready, to, are ready to help. And, and all of that money 
um, goes directly to cancer research. And that those were Terry's explicit wishes um, was that it didn't go to any individual. It went to the to the uh, to, to innovative cancer research. So. Uh yeah, I was going to ask, too, if you can at all speak to sort of where the money goes. I mean, does it mm -hmm. stay locally, or what happens when people donate here in Kamloops? So something really exciting this year, um, the Terry Fox Foundation uh, has pledged $150 million, and the federal government has, over the next five years is going to match that to um, start something that is unique to Canada and very groundbreaking, and it's called the Marathon of Hope Cancer Centre Network, and it's going to link researchers and doctors um, across Canada so that they, they can share their data, their treatments, new technologies, even specimens, clinical trials and outcomes to directly benefit cancer patients, patients and really moving towards um, uh, uh, precision medicine where um, an individual cancer is in an individual, like if you and I both had lung cancer, mm -hmm. maybe our treatments would be completely different. Mm -hmm. So that's the end goal and this community of sharing um, is, is just a really exciting thing, and especially when the federal government jumps on board. Yeah. So. yeah, definitely pretty awesome to see the amount of people that get behind this cause. I mean, on an annual basis, I mean, just every September, right? People just, we don't necessarily think about them all year round, but every September, you yeah. just know the Terry Fox run is coming, and, you know, it's been, like I said, 39 years since the Marathon of Hope ended. I guess, uh, you know, given that, do you think, and I believe there has been a couple issues in the last little while here in Kamloops with organizing a run, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I just, do you think that it, maybe it's lost its luster a little bit given the fact that it has been so long or do you think now that I believe it was a couple years off here in Kamloops that now that it's back uh, that people are, are a little more excited again that that it's here and, and running in September well it's it's always been here um, the, the the past run organizers are an amazing family that are still heavily involved um, um, with with uh, our family and putting this on um, you know, we just, uh, I, I have the time to, to put into it and, and the past, you know, family didn't. The, the, the previous family um, did it for, I think, 20 years. So, um, but, you know, everybody loves Terry Fox and, and uh, we're just excited that we can do our little part to, to uh, yeah, keep his name alive and keep the dream alive. So please come out on Sunday. Awesome. Yeah, I'm here with Andrea Makura for the uh, Terry Fox run here in Kamloops taking place this Sunday. So uh, what do you guys have for registration right now? Um, do you have uh, any kind of ideas how many people you're expecting at this point in time? So the unique thing about Terry Fox as well is that um, you do not have to donate to come. So a lot of people just show up. I would really encourage people to register online um, just so you don't have to wait in line on run day. Um, but it's an all-inclusive event. Uh, you can come and just have coffee and cake. You can walk, you can ride, you can bike, you can just come and hang out with us and and uh, and take part in this great community event. So. And, and like I had mentioned at the start, there's 1K, 5K, and 10K, correct? Yes, yes. So can you just give me a, an idea of what those routes look like? I mean, how are they split up? Uh, any ideas? Sure, yeah. yeah. It's a big loop. Um, the city is doing a little bit of paving, so that's put a little glitch in our run this year. But we're all going to start at the Bandshell and uh, head out along the Rivers Trail uh, through... Uh, sorry, through Riverside and then through Pioneer Park, and we're going to go all the way down to 10th Ave and then loop back. So it's it's all along the trail except for a little part in front of the tennis club. We have to be on the road. Um, there's also a 1K in the park loop, um, but if you do the bigger loop once, that's 5K, and if you do it twice, it's 10. Okay. So, yeah. Perfect. Uh, and, and I don't know, if did you say a number of how many people you think might be coming out? Well... 
Last year we had over 400. So um, I'm I'm hoping for more. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll just have. To We'll just have to see. <laughs> uh, so uh, given that, I guess, do you have any idea what was raised last year here in Kamloops? That is a very good question. Um, I, and I should have those figures. And I, <laughs> sorry, I, I put you on the spot here. Remember. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's it was, okay. It was close to 50000 Awesome. Yeah. So given that, um, people who do want to donate here, I guess you said to donate online, but where yes. else can we go? Can if I come to the event, I mean, is there like a, a jar that I can put some money in or Absolutely. how exactly does that work? Yeah, you can go to terryfox.org and you can register and donate online or you can show up on Runday with um, some toonies in your pocket. Um, if everybody comes to the registration um, tents. They'll direct you on how you can, you know, share your funds. Um, yeah, we're we're grateful of anything. Perfect. So everything kicks off Sunday morning, Riverside Park, starting at nine. Absolutely. And uh, I guess do you have like a, a big start or a uh, you know a gun that you're going to shoot off or anything to get people <laughs> get ready to go on uh, Sunday morning? Well, we have a really enthusiastic uh, guy who's going to count us down. So uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, there you go. Register online. Uh, what was the website again? Terryfox.org. And then is there a specific one for Kamloops or do you just register there and you, you guys will know? You, it will ask you if you have a particular run site and you can just hit Kamloops and it will direct you on how to register for our run. Perfect. So there you go. You got uh, less than two days to sign up. Uh, for the Terry Fox run right here in Kamloops starting at 9 o'clock in the morning. Registration will open. Uh, recommended to register online, though, to avoid those long lines. 400-plus people will hopefully be showing up to Riverside Park this Sunday morning here in Kamloops. Thank you so much for coming in, Andrea. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. And rain or shine, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rain or shine, because yeah. obviously there is some issues with weather right now. Yeah, so thanks there again. You go. That was Andrea Makura talking about the Terry Fox race happening here in Kamloops this Sunday morning. Coming up, I will be talking with the president of the UBC Municipalities uh, Organization, he, Urgent Singh. He will be giving me a call in about uh, six minutes or so, so we'll stick around for that, talk about what's going on at their convention, which is set to take place in 10 days' time, talk about cannabis revenue sharing, among other issues that will be discussed there. And, of course, coming up at the end of the show, I'll be talking with Alberta Gaming, Liquor, and Cannabis about how things have gone in that province, because things have gone a little more smoothly there when it comes to cannabis sales than they have here in B.C. to date. So stick around for all of that. It'll be coming up after this. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Friday, September 13th. Yes, Friday the 13th. The Union of BC Municipalities is set for its annual meeting beginning in 10 days. Here to talk about what is on the agenda and get you ready for what is to come is UBCM President Arjun Singh. Arjun, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here today. Uh, Jeff, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. Anytime. You're always welcome here on the show. So um, I want to start with the issue of uh, cannabis revenue sharing. The UBCM has been clamoring for a deal, and yet uh, now we're almost a, a year into legalization and nothing has been figured out. Uh, the finance minister says there's no deal in place, at least in part because there's no revenue being made to share. So I guess, first of all, Arjun, just how kind of upsetting for the UBCM is it that a deal isn't yet in place, and it doesn't sound like one's coming anytime soon? Well, you know, we, we, we are hopeful that we'll get a deal sooner, which we're continuing to be hopeful that we'll work with the province. And, uh, you know, we work really well with the province on cannabis, 
regulation writ large. I mean, most of the things have been very collaborative working with government. The revenue share is the one piece that we've uh, had some stumbling blocks with. Um, the, the express intent of the federal government when they actually uh, set up the sort of the excise tax scheme was part of the share of the provinces would definitely go to local government. And that's not just even a cost issue, a cost consideration. That's also a revenue consideration. So we're all partners in this whole uh, this whole new initiative to legalize cannabis. Uh, lots of work has been done in the city of Kamloops and all over the province in different communities. And so we feel quite strongly that you know, a portion of that is ours. Uh, the, the province has, uh, I think Mr. James has indicated an interest to, in doing that, but it's just a question of, of when. And so um, I'm actually... Uh, just going to have national board meetings now in Ontario for the Federation of Canadian Municipalities and some Protestant territories, the government are saying they're not going to do it at all. So in that sense, we at least have some good indication that it will happen. But our question is, you know, we should be doing this, is, you know, we shouldn't have to worry about all the costs coming in or everything's coming in to know what we should be sharing. Uh, the province didn't have to show the, the federal government that they just got a revenue share right off the bat, and we feel uh, the same. Yeah, I was going to ask you that exact question, actually. What do you make of the idea that there is no revenue to share, right? That was one of the things that uh, Minister Carol James had talked about, was that there was no revenue really coming in, so how can they decide what to share? But even if that well, is the case, you feel like you could still figure out what the, the deal at least should be, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's revenue coming in. There's obviously the provinces absorb costs, and their costs are probably more uh, than, than the revenue, but guess what? So is local government. So, mm-hmm. you know, all over the province, uh, there's communities who are spending money uh, and trying to recoup it through some pretty um, tools that are very hard to recoup the full amount with. So business licensing typically won't recoup the whole amount of that. Um, and so, you know, we need to sort of think about uh, the fact that there's going to be ongoing stuff happening with costs as well. So, you know, I think, the, again, like, you know, the good work of radio went out on the media outlets, uh, you know, the minister has been, uh, been asked about that quite, quite a few times, and I think uh, she's indicated that, uh, you know, it would be coming, and we're asking actually for to, to, to meet with her and, and to be able to have that conversation. Uh, again, we've actually done a little bit of work on, UBCM has, on, on costing for well, governments, uh, the costs have been involved, but we don't want to get stuck on the cost. I mean, this is really a question of, of revenue, both cost and uh, profit. So, you know, we want to work with the province collaboratively. We have very much on this file on cannabis, on almost everything. The revenue sharing is just kind of the last piece for us. You know, in in this up in the early early stages of the uh, of legalization. Uh, I did have uh, the finance minister on the show earlier this week, so I did just want to play a quick clip from her and uh, just get a quick reaction from you. So I'm just going to play something now, and then uh, I'll come back in in a second here. Okay. We've been having that conversation with UBCM and, and we'll get back to the table and continue to monitor the dollars that are coming in. There may be some shifts as you look to edibles uh, this coming spring. That's the next step in the, the legalization piece, but uh, we're continuing our work on that committee with UBCM. So Finance Minister Carol James says that you know she's going to continue to monitor the situation when it comes to cannabis revenue sharing and will continue to have discussions and see if the addition of other products such as edibles will make a difference in the revenue stream and those obviously won't be available until at least December in stores legally. Um, and it just seems like the status quo from, from comments she's making to me, I guess, just what are your thoughts on that? Is is that answer in any way satisfactory that it's just going to continue to monitor the situation? I mean, you guys are meeting uh, as uh, BC municipalities here in 10 days, I guess, 
assume this is one one of many topics, obviously, that's on the agenda. But uh, I mean, just, you're obviously hoping to see something sooner than later, and it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. You know, we continue to make an argument that this is a sharing of revenue piece among all level orders of government. So the local government sector um, is uh, entitled uh, from. Uh, how the federal government set up the uh, the, uh, the the uh, the scheme on excise tax for a share, and uh, you know, let us from the finance minister federally, you know, to indicate that. So, um, you know, we're we're again we're waiting for the province to uh, come back to the table, and we want it to be soon. And I think you know we shouldn't have to wait for uh, the totality of all the, the, the revenue to come in. This is not how it was done. From the federal government to the province, the federal government said automatically, right, if there was any revenue coming in, the provinces would get this share, and a portion of that share should go to local government. So, you know, we're, you know do we have to lobby the federal government to do with us directly? You know, we should be collaboratively working with the province to make sure that money flows. And uh, I'll be having more kind of conversation on this later on the show. I'll be talking with the Alberta uh, Gaming Liquor and Cannabis Operation in Alberta. So if you want to stick around for that, uh, that'll be coming up in a little bit of time. But I'm here with UBCM President Arjun Singh. So uh, enough on that uh, topic for now, Arjun. I'm sure uh, you've pretty much okay. said all you can say on that one. Uh, I'll move on to ride sharing as well for now. This is something that I believe is on your guys' radar as well. Um, I, I guess from your perspective as the president of UBCM, uh, is this something that most municipalities are wanting to see? coming to the province and I'm only asking because we see what happened here in Surrey not too long ago with uh, the mayor there saying he's going to be doing whatever he can to keep ride sharing from happening so I guess what is the UBCM stance on ride hailing at this point in time and and uh, sort of what what discussion do you think will be coming up here uh, in the next 10 days when uh, UBCM does meet for his convention? Well, Jeff that's a great question I mean I think UBCM as an organization hasn't talked so much about ride sharing I mean we've had uh, discussions about transportation writ large, like around Greyhound and things like that. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think from, from an official perspective, uh, UBCM, you know, it has been a big issue for us this year uh, in terms of what's been happening. Uh, but I think that ultimately, you know, it's um, what I've said is I think, you know, that I think that there's a balancing act between making sure that, you know, people who, who desire this service have access to it and it's coming in and obviously not just the Metro Vancouver, but all, hopefully all across the province, and that the taxi industry you know, invested a lot of, of their, you know, capital and investment in getting, you know, taxi companies going, you know, finding themselves in a situation where they're not, uh, they're not an unequal playing field, right? And that's always been a rub around ride sharing uh, in terms of bringing it in BC in, in many ways. So, uh, beyond that, I mean, we'll see how it unfolds, and, uh, you know, and uh, hopefully... Uh, you know, the other aspect is if um, members are bringing resolutions to UBCM convention, I don't think there's a lot this year, but maybe coming in the future. Uh, I don't have a, too much time. A couple minutes left here, Arjun. I guess just uh, yeah. from your perspective, uh, what else at UBCM do you want to highlight? What are some of the other major topics that you're kind of excited to dig deeper into uh, over those, uh, those the course of those five days? Yes, yeah, so we have a special resolutions at UBCM. We have one that's basically... Um, flagging something for the province, and many fellows in the province who work very, very well. Uh, on a couple around land use, like Mountain Caribou, uh, Species at Risk Act, um, agricultural stuff, there's been some concerns that we've been kind of like not in the consultation process early enough with the province, and sometimes with the federal government. So, you know, we want to make sure that everybody who is who's involved, every order of government, every critical 
group is, is actually involved in the um, consultation and discussions right at the beginning of the process. And so we've got a special resolution coming around that at UBCM. Uh, we also have one that's around, um, this is more a little main incentive one in some ways, but it's really around the notion of how communities uh, through development uh, you know, uh, get more amenities. So in the lower mainland, there's been, there's been some controversy around uh, developers having to go through all these hoops to try and get to, to, to actually, for the community to get some amenities out of development. And so it is one way of, of simplifying that process. That came through the uh, uh, Province of Development Approval Process Review Committee uh, that the Minister Robinson uh, sort of um, uh, started back in December and ended, ended in the springtime. So uh, all exciting stuff, but I mean, again, the UBCM convention, I, I really would encourage people to pay attention to, you know, the media in that week for sure, I hope we do all the time, but, you know, there's there's so much that happens that week that's that's so varied, so every aspect of society, you know, the, obviously the economy, the environment, uh, social issues, um, you know, things that are that are really emerging as issues uh, in society and in society uh, will be on the table there, and so you know, we're really excited as the UBCM to be a convener of probably uh, the best opportunity in the, in the whole year for folks to get, you know, a bit of a, bit of a, a, bit of a concentrated focus on a whole bunch of different issues. And so, um, you know, it's really exciting for all of us to go there. It's really meaningful for not only for BC communities, but also for the province to get access to what we're thinking and the federal government, although we're in election now, so there probably will be a bigger presence. It's a very exciting time for us. So looking forward to uh, doing that, looking forward to... Um, be home more now after being president for the year. So it's been a good year as president. Uh, but, uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm a Canada City Councillor and a regional director in the Thompson Nicola Regional District. Very, very proud of that. I'm looking forward to uh, being more president in Kamloops in the region. Awesome. Well, Arjun, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Hey, Jeff, you too. How are we You as well. That was Arjun Singh, president of UBCM. And, of course, their convention is coming up in 10 days' time. Coming up next, I'll be talking with a spokesperson for Alberta Gaming, Liquor, and Cannabis about how things have gone for our neighbors to the east after this. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back here on Radio NL on this lovely Friday here in Kamloops. As BC continues to have issues when it comes to creating revenue from cannabis sales, Alberta seems to be thriving. Last month it was reported that Alberta was the country's top cannabis market with over $123 million in sales and $30 million in revenues. What has made our neighbors to the east so successful? Well, here to talk about this is Heather Holman with Alberta Gaming, Liquor, and Cannabis. Heather, thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, you told me ahead of time that you won't be able to speak to anything regarding revenue splitting or sales revenue. So, um, you know, you're going to be reporting that in the next couple of months. So if I ask something you can't answer, I'll apologize for that ahead of time. But uh, just know that I'm, I'm trying not to touch on those subjects to uh, kind of keep things smooth here. No problem at all. <laughs> all right. So I guess just to start with, what do you think has kind of helped make Alberta so successful compared to other provinces in Canada? Like what practices and policies did you guys put in place that you feel has allowed your province to, to have a bigger boom in sales? 
you know, I don't know if, if it can be pinpointed to any one particular thing or policy or process or practice, but I think one thing that uh, we were fortunate in being able to lean on is Alberta's uh, recreational cannabis model is mirrored very much closely to Alberta's liquor distribution model. So we have a private distribution for liquor. We also have a private model for cannabis. So um, not having to make too many changes and seeing what's worked and where there's been some gaps and how we regulate and manage Alberta's liquor industry certainly, um, I think, has loaned itself well to, to getting set up for success with cannabis. So just to follow that up then, can you maybe explain what is in place when it comes to cannabis retail? Like you mentioned, uh, a nice split between um, private and uh, public sales. Like we here in BC have a few government-run stores where people can go in and buy their weed, but there aren't many very uh, aren't many of those private sector retailers that have been able to open up. So how do people buy their bud in Alberta? Like what options are available to them? Can they go into the store? Can they go online? Can you just sort of explain what people can do when they're looking to buy some cannabis in Alberta? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll just tell you very quickly what, what AGLC does, Alberta Gaming, Liquor and Cannabis. We're responsible for regulating private recreational cannabis, the distribution of cannabis to the private retailers, and also we operate Alberta's online cannabis store, which is albertacannabis.org. In Alberta, as of today, we currently have 282 retail licenses issued to prospective retailers. Not all those stores may be in operation right now because some of those licenses were issued as recently as this this week. Um, we have 32 federally licensed producers that are licensed by Health Canada that provide product and we continue to bring on new licensed producers and of course we will need to continue to bring them on with you know as, as the numbers of, of retail locations begins to grow. So in Alberta uh, we have private retail stores and a government run online store so consumers have options where they can go into their local municipality into a store. We have a searchable database online through our website and if someone's in a municipality where there's not a brick and mortar store where they can physically walk in they can purchase products through the online store um, so there's there's options for everybody or perhaps for someone who doesn't want to have to go into a store and, and have the comfort and convenience like many of us you know seek right now where we can order things online and have it delivered to the, to the house do you think having that kind of different options has made Alberta so successful? Like I know in Ontario, you can only buy online and here uh, there's only a few specific provincially run stores where you can buy your pot. I mean, the, just the fact that you guys have options must have, uh, uh, you know, consumers feeling, you know, happy that there are a number of different ways they can go about purchasing this. Is, is that sort of, do you think, one of the elements that has allowed Alberta, Alberta to be successful? I think so, and I and I think too. You know, the market will will dictate what what it wants to see. If 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 consumers want to have more stores, uh, chances are we're going to see more stores come up. But obviously, the economy will will also play a factor in in how successful some of the stores are that run. You know, here in Alberta, we have uh, the, the private liquor model. When we were government operated. Um, uh, when we were government-operated liquor model, uh, we had, I think it was 200 and just just about 210 um, government-run liquor stores. Currently in Alberta, we have nearly 2,000. So consumers have, have, you know, indicated through, you know, through, I guess, voting with their money where they want to be able to see some of the um, the retail locations. And I think that's going to be what we're going to see with cannabis as well. The, you know, the numbers may continue to climb or the numbers may decline, but, you know, there's going to be some, some other elements that will factor into the success of stores. 
I'm here with Heather Holman from AGLC. Um, I know one of the issues that provinces kind of across the board have talked about is trying to curb illegal activity and get, you know, the illegal marketplace uh, to kind of shut down as much as they can. And, and I believe the lack of private stores here has sort of had a hindrance on creating revenue for BC, particularly in a province where BC Bud was probably one of the most famous products in the province prior to legalization. So I think it's fair to say that the black market, quote unquote, continues to have a substantial market share here. Um, do you have any idea how Alberta has done in terms of curbing that illegal activity? Has that had, uh, you know, have you guys been successful, do you think, in sort of shutting down some of those illegal sales, which is obviously would, would allow the government sales in the private retail sector that is running legally to have a, a better market share? Well, the full visibility falls outside of our purview as that would fall to local law, law, law enforcement pardon me, sorry, mm-hmm. local law enforcement. So RCMP or the municipal law agencies uh, would, would have better visibility in terms of what they're seeing for statistics. But I think there is definitely a market, and I think with the onset of, of legalized recreational cannabis, there is comfort in, in consumers knowing that what they're purchasing is federally inspected and regulated product, and they know, you know there's some assurance of where it's coming from and that those facilities are being inspected and the stores are being inspected and there's a you know there's a, a high criteria that needs to be met to to ensure the integrity of the cannabis sector um, and and that's that's part of that's one of our jobs is to ensure that retailers are are accountable as well mm-hmm. in in playing a part in product security and do you think that this is kind of just the beginning like having Alberta be one of the better provinces so far when it comes to, um, you know, revenues and, and being able to create money out of this and, and just p- having options like you had mentioned where people can go about buying their, their product. I mean, do you think that, uh, you know, the, Alberta is just going to continue to move forward and optimize what they're doing uh, in the cannabis industry and be able to improve even further? Like they're already, Alberta is already one of the better provinces at this, but do you think there's a lot of room for growth still? I mean, we are only a year in, not even a year into this, right? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to imagine that we're coming up on a year already. Um, you know, it's difficult to speculate, but I mean, certainly we are con- continually and constantly assessing and evaluating what's working, what's not, and and certainly there's been some some you know growing pains over the past year, and there's been some best practices learned, and I think we'll always continue to strive to um, strengthen and um, improve the the sector. It, it's new, it's brand new, it's you know it, essentially coming out of prohibition for the second time, just with a different product. Um, so I think you know definitely both government and AGLC as a government agency, we're all committed in addition to the industry to to making sure that you know things get stronger and better and and a little bit more seamless. It, it's uh, it's definitely been a year of learnings, but it's it's also been a successful year, as you've noted. And I'll get you out of here on this one, but just uh, you know, obviously, uh, all each province is sort of dealing with this in their own unique way. Um, and I don't know if necessarily that's the best way to go about it. And, and you look at a province like Alberta that has had success uh, in implementing their policy and, and getting you know retailers up and running and having an online store and having options and things along those lines. I mean, have you heard or, or are other provinces looking to Alberta as a model? Uh, you know, have there been any sort of consulting in terms of what uh, you guys have done compared to what other provinces have done that you know you guys can learn from each other? I mean, I'm sure even Alberta can learn from some of the stuff that other provinces have done as well, even if they haven't been quite as successful in terms of that revenue growth. But I mean, has there been a lot of communication between inter interprovincial communication? Do you know if that exists or what the dialogue is? I mean, do you have any even anecdotal data or evidence that suggests that there is good communication going on between different provincial parties? 
I, I don't have visibility on that. I, I can say that, I mean, there's certainly, you know, ongoing conversation with, with various levels of government, especially the federal government with Health Canada being the federal regulator. I think, you know, I would imagine there's been some conversations, but I, I don't have any, um, you know, I don't have anything sound to, to point you to. However, I can say that as Canada prepared for, for legalization of cannabis, that, you know, we were even looking south of the border to see how some of the U.S. states that have incorporated um, legal cannabis into, you know, into their laws, uh, you know, what, what their growing pains were and, and what their successes were and what the best practices were. And I know that, you know, um, globally there's, a, there's a, a sharing process out there that, you know, people are sharing that, that information. Perfect. Well, I uh, thank you so much for your time, Heather. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and, and providing us with some insight. I think there's some good stuff there, and I do think there is a lot for other provinces to learn from what you guys have done. So I hope there is some communication at some point, even if it hasn't happened yet. I hope it happens soon so you know people can, can figure this out and we can stop complaining about how things have worked so far. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. That was Heather Holman with Alberta Gaming Liquor and Cannabis. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank you all for listening and all my guests for coming on the show. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Happy Friday the 13th.